adaptation for you. Um, into a new series called Songs of Hope. And I'm really excited about it. And you got the sheet along with the, the booklet. Um, and ha it has this overview of the series and all the scriptures are included so that you can read along with us as we go. And I'm not gonna read through the whole sheet this morning, but um, you should read it. And I, but I wanna highlight something about what specifically is our goal and our aim for this series. And so, and this is on the sheet, it says the goal of the study is to use selected psalms as our guide to continue, in continuing to embrace the truth that the books of the Bible are not separate stories, but they're one story moving towards their culmination in Jesus. And it was super fun to um, study and to have that as the goal and to wonder what, what the invitation into the text was. Um, and one of the things that I, I think I love most about the Psalms is that they feel, they have this like unedited, honest feel. Um, and they give us permission to interact with God in a way that allows us to be really real and to be right where we're at, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I love that it feels um, a bit like a roller coaster, kind of when you start reading. And not that I want to be on a roller coaster, but while I'm on it, at least it feels like the ups and downs of life are represented in scripture. And for some reason that feels very comforting to me. They're full of imagery and emotion and they can be both communal and individual. Um, and as we travel each week into the series from Psalms to the New Testament, we're, we're really gonna see this interplay of scripture and how the full story is so clearly pointing to Jesus as Messiah. It's an honest book that teaches us how to pray and sing in all the seasons and circumstances of life, whether you are coming in here flying high or whether you are sinking way down low. And as I got deep into studying Psalm 89 that was read earlier as part of worship, I was surprised at the way that I felt like my life was intersecting this psalm. And so, um, quick warning. I'm gonna tell a, uh, I'm gonna tell a medical story. You ready for this? <laughs> About myself. <clears throat> okay, so almost two months ago, I was sitting on my couch, it was a Saturday morning, on the morning of our 17th wedding anniversary. I know. We were talking about what we were gonna do for that day, and all of a sudden I got this wrenching pain right under my, like in my diaphragm area, and it just kept like as if something in my inside just started to twist and twist and twist, and I said, Tim, <laughs> like I got a cramp, and he goes, and? <laughs> and I was like, no, like, like this one's different. Um, and so I text my friend, Molly, and I was like, okay, this is the pain. She's like, you gotta go to the, the ER. So I end up at the ER and in so much pain. I've never felt this way before in my life. And, you know, get to the ER and we go in the back and they start, you know, running some blood tests and then real quickly, I'm in the back and um, I need to get my gallbladder removed. Emergency surgery, never happened to me before. Raise your hand if you don't have a gallbladder. <laughs> How many, okay, great. Great, great, okay. Um, but I, like, I didn't know what this organ even did when I went in. Um, so anyway, so this is very scary for me. I don't know if you, this is kind of like the first time 
I've ever felt like so out of control and I've been to the doctor before and like breaking something, I broke my nose and whatever. And you can usually see it on the outside, but when you're dealing with internal organs, like I, I, had, I couldn't do anything about it. I had no idea if they were okay or not. And so um, got into surgery, I stayed overnight, um, ended up going home. The next day I wake up with, was like later in the morning, I wake up with this shooting pain in the surgery site and I was like, and it was worse than the day before. And so I am just, I mean, if you can imagine, you've seen me cry before, but this is like waterworks. Again, how, what am I supposed to do when my body is doing something that I don't know? Like it's, it's way out of my control, it's way out of my league. And so I end up back in the ER um, I got their record. They said that the record was seven hours and like 28 minutes to be in there. And I was in there for nine hours and 15. <laughs> so yeah, I got the ER record. I won't tell you which emergency room, but, but they were great otherwise. And um, I was about to leave, and, but they had put an IV in my arm. And I was like, well, I guess I have to stay. And when I got brought back to this nurse, he said, I'm so glad you didn't go home because your charts are so concerning. And I was like, well, nobody told me that. And I got here nine hours ago. Um, so I was in there with no pain meds. And the day after surgery, and I'm literally telling you, like, I went from planning our anniversary, like, day to being in a spot where I was so, like, I didn't even know which end was up at that point. And um, when they brought me back, they started like kind of rushing me through this process and they're talking about me going back into surgery and that some stones were, you know, all over the place and I'm just, I am literally just numb. I have no idea what's going on. I'm getting CT scans and then I go in for an MRI and I haven't had an MRI for so long, and so I forgot what the machine was like. And as I, um, so I was brought, I was wheeled into the MRI. And you guys, this is just, it's so funny that I'm telling you this, because it feels like so surreal telling you about it even right now. Um, but as I was just like had this spot where I felt like this was the most out of control in my life that I can point back to and say, yeah, that more than any other time in my entire life, happened a couple months ago. And she asked me if I wanted to listen to something. Like, because they have headphones in this MRI, because the machine is just like, dong, 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 like it's so loud. I don't know if you remember what an MRI machine is like, but it's very unnerving. And so she asked me if I wanted to listen to music, and I said, yes. And for a moment, I was like, I typically pick 80s, and I love pop music, and so it's just like, I like the fun and the joy and the excitement of music. I love power ballads, and I thought, this is not the time for living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I, I would love to listen to some worship music. And she said, oh, like, is that a playlist? And I thought, oh no. And I had this moment, I'm like, not feeling good, but I had this moment, like, if you pick the wrong playlist, while I'm in the MRI, like this is, so I said Maverick City, that's the only, I said, how about Maverick City? Because it is a, it's, it's an artist that I have enjoyed a few of their songs and um, 
the first, you know, you don't get to pick a playlist, it just starts one. And this song called Jaira comes on, which is a word for God called my provider. And these lyrics just start pouring over my like really um, tender heart. Like what are you supposed to do when your, when your life is like out of control? And it talked about going through a storm and you won't go down. Like you cross the ocean, you won't let me drown. And you've never been closer than you are right now. And as these words just started pouring over, it was like scripture just started to change, um, change the posture of my heart. As my, it was like literally, like, at this point, honestly, I'm a catastrophist. So, catastrophist? I don't know if I'm going to die or not. So, I'm going worst case scenario, and like, it's not good going what's going on inside of me. But as this poured over me that I will be content in every circumstance because you are enough. And then it talked about how he, um, he dress, he, if he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over the sparrow, how much more does he love you? And, and I, in that tiny MRI tube, it was so scary and I needed something else to fill the space and not noise, but another story to be invited into a really out of control moment. And that's what music did. It allowed this to sink deeply into my heart when I, I had no words. I didn't have any prayers or anything like amazing to say. I was just like sort of, this was disconnected. I wasn't feeling anything at the time and this truth attached itself to my emotional state and to what I could only see in front of me and this music connected scripture and truth and it started to take these like fractured pieces of me and started to put them back together a bit and brought me peace. And it reminded me of who God is and I, I, I believed who he was, even in the middle of it. And as humans, we come in contact with this sometimes, but we are so limited. We're so finite, but God is not at all. Which I think is one of the beauties of the Psalms that help us to see, and they teach us to sing this bigger, greater story than the one that we can see in front of our eyes. And that I think is the power of, the song, of song as it reminds us of this hopeful, further reaching and forever story of God's faithfulness and these songs start to fill us with hope. And I'm gonna read Psalm 89 again. And as I study it, I got really sucked into the story of David and his influence on music. And that's where um, we're just gonna kind of land because you gotta pick somewhere because there's so much going on in the text. But I'll, I'll read eight, Psalm 89 again, one through four. <clears throat> I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said I made a covenant with my chosen one and I have sworn to, my ser to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Um, David authored about half the books of, about half of the Psalms. And he didn't author Psalm 89, but he, it does reference this covenant that we're gonna talk about. And, 
At the beginning, David was kind of a nobody, and he was young, and he was stuck out in a field as a shepherd. He was the last in his family, and he played a harp, or a lyre. Um, but we're going to call it a harp today, all right? Um, Samuel was told by God to appoint King David over the local tribe of Judah, and he does, and to the surprise of everyone. And eventually, one of the first things he does is he kills an enormous Philistine soldier named Goliath with a rock, and it was just like uphill from there with David. And music was a huge part of David's life. And if you know about the life of David, he was anything but perfect. But he was appointed king because of who he was and because of his heart towards God. He was fully dedicated and faithful to the one true God of Israel, while most of the people around him had fizzled out of their worship and devotion to Yahweh, David's heart remained committed and he was a man after God's own heart. And God made a covenant with him. In 2 Samuel 7, it says, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendants who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son and your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. And this is a huge promise that God makes to David. This is like the game-changing promise for all of us in the story of God with his people. And it's referred to over and over again in scripture and it's called the Davidic covenant. And at that time, David could not have anticipated that Jesus would eventually be the fulfillment of his covenant. David was definitely not looking that far ahead. He was not thinking that a savior named Jesus would be born to his line and that the kingdom of God would be established forever, not just here on earth through his house, but over all of creation and eternity. But David did know that this promise was big time and he knew what to do. He did what he knew what to do, and he added music to the mix. And before he showed up on the scene, music was not an integrated part of the established liturgy of the temple, which was full of symbolism and ceremony, but not music. And David's influence on music as part of the worship is mind-blowing. He significantly transformed what we now naturally just expect when we come to church. We assume that there's gonna be music of some sort and it's just part of the fabric across denominational lines. And he sets this up first. As they move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, he sets up, he starts organizing the priests to play instruments. He appointed the people that were good singers to sing and some others to blow trumpets and tambourines and he told them to make a joyful noise. (laughs) And he organized this all around the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant would be carried from place to place and David cared deeply about this. And David got his great white outfit on and he danced his heart out and it was just full of joy. That was the first time that music sort of entered the scene like this. And I have no idea if they like had a practice (laughs) or if anybody actually knew how to play. And what I am picturing, if you are too, is a total gong show. (laughs) Trying to organize all these people, but I, I love it. And music has a special ability to strengthen words 
And song, even in the broader sense, can stimulate our emotion and speak deeply to our heart. It gives us words and language to things that only our heart or emotions can feel, and it can inspire us to move our body or to take action. It can pull strength out from the deepest places inside of us that we didn't know we had. Music has the ability to drum up fun or slide you straight back to your junior prom gymnasium. And if you're not convinced that music can change the dynamic then I challenge that you've never been to a wedding dance when Sweet Caroline comes on. <laughs> because everybody is up and it changes the room. And David, David knew this about music. And he knew that our emotions were part of the deal in being human. And that to get some of this truth of this loving covenant that God made with his people to sink deeply into our heart, he put it to song. And one of the things that I kept pondering over the last few weeks as related to my gallbladder, missing, whatever, um, was this dynamic between God and I. And if I'm honest, I, I don't always feel like I'm in need. Like I, I, after that experience, I don't know that I, I am in that posture a lot of need which I, I mean, I know that I am, but it, not like that day. And it was such a shift in the dynamic of me realizing how fast life can change, how fragile I am. But like I said before, but God is not like that. And that's so relieving. And this, in this um, study really shed light on this dynamic of this relationship for me where we place intentionally God in a position of power and we place ourselves in a position of weakness and dependence. And I don't place myself in that position very often, and I don't know if you do on purpose, but the Psalms have a beautiful way of inviting us over and over to rehearse this reality, to sing and pray this way, that God is way bigger than we are. He's way more powerful. He doesn't change, he doesn't fail. And yet in the midst of the dynamic where we've got here and here, he chooses relationship and proximity with us. And he's interested in doing life in partnership with us. And God is God and we are not. And is this beautiful interchange that is portrayed in the Psalms between what it looks like for God and man to be in this committed relationship together. But it can get complicated especially when God doesn't listen to you. You know, when you've got great ideas, it can get complicated, or when he's not on your timeline. But God is not like us in the best way. And thankfully, he's not. He will not fail us. And David, along with the other authors, keep this at the forefront of the Psalms in both praise and lament. And if you remember at the start of Psalm 89, we were saying about the great and steadfast love of God and his faithfulness that goes on forever. And let me tell you, if you keep reading Psalm 89, if you go home and you read it, by the end of it in verse 49, the author is, this is what he says. Lord, where is this great love? Which, is, which in your faithfulness you swore to David, like where did it go? By the end of the Psalm. 
Don't forget your covenant. And there's a sense of abandonment that starts to creep in, even just in this one psalm. And you can, you can, it's almost like you can feel this drift from openly stating who God is to what this actually feels like in real life. Not ideally, but realistically. This psalm starts out strong and by the end it, it literally feels like somebody threw just this wet blanket all over it. But it ends with the very last line it says, Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And another translation that I picked up said, nevertheless, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And there is this invitation. In this book, this book that teaches us how to sing and pray, there is this invitation to return back to God in the sense of trust and belief that regardless of our circumstances and above all that God is who he says he is, So in this series, um, we have this fun interchange sort of between the Psalms and the New Testament, and so we're gonna pop over to Luke where we see this, the fulfillment of this Davidic covenant play out. And after 400 years of silence, the angel Gabriel appears out of nowhere and visits a teenage virgin girl named Mary who is pledged to be married to Joseph. And both of these two actually have ties back to the, to the line of David. And he greets her and tells her that, he is, that she is highly favored and the Lord is with her. And so we'll pick up here at the beginning in the, like the birth story in Luke 1. It said, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. So not only, as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, not only did he not fail or forget, but he's actually fulfilling the covenant in the person of Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. He will get the throne of his father David, and he will reign over all forever and ever. And this is the end of the line of lineage. Jesus is getting the throne and he is gonna reign over it forever. And this is like a, like a hard period on the end of the sentence of the Davidic covenant. covenant. And it's, it's ongoing, but the seed has been taken. <laughs> and Mary would have totally recognized this covenant. It was, it was everybody knew about it. And there's this little parallel between Mary and David. They're both young. They're basically nobodies in terms of wealth or material possession or status. And both of them were fully committed to God. And Mary goes from this emotional state where she is confused and troubled. And she moves to a place of consent. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answers. May your word be to me. May your word to me be fulfilled. And on the heels of this covenant, she gives permission for God to do what he wants to do. Permission for something to happen. That's what consent means. And yes to the presence and action of God in her life. And that moved Mary from one place to another with this song of hope. And after 400 years of silence from God, this fulfillment of the Davidic covenant 
is just dropped right here. And it situated the story for her and allowed Mary to trust and to believe that, yes, I remember that God is who he says he is and he did not forget his people and he will not fail. And a few verses later after visiting her cousin, this song bursts out of Mary and then she just starts going off about what God has done and what he will do and she is filled with hope. And just as the Psalms do, this paints the picture of what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. It reminds us of the dynamic between the human and the divine. It's full of lament and praise and gratitude and confusion and anger and it's full of prayer. It's full of us drifting away and it's full of us returning. And we are encouraged to put ourselves in the posture of dependence and surrender and belief that God can be trusted with the nature of our very lives. It encourages us to acknowledge that we are in need of Jesus to save us and to rescue us, to draw us near and to remember, like, don't forget me. We practice placing Jesus above all and in all and through all and in our weakness, which doesn't feel very natural to us, we have such hope. And as we started out in Psalm 89, we can see that the very nature of the covenant that God established between himself and his people is rooted in love and faithfulness, and it goes on forever. And I think David knew that music would be the way that that kind of truth, that those kind of statements, that that kind of stuff could travel from paper or speech through our intellect and ultimately to our heart and deeply embed itself into our soul. And so as we wrap up here, and I'll invite the team back up again, I am gonna tell you a little story about my grandma. Um, And a few of my brothers are here. And I think I have one online and then one MIA, whatever. But I told them I was gonna talk about Dorothy and they showed up. Um, Well, I already told you her name. Her name is Dorothy and we called her Dort. Um, She was um, just the best combo of round and kind and gentle and she made you feel like a million bucks when you walked in a room. This little toddler Bible, my sister-in-law, Laura, gave it to me when Rue was dedicated, my daughter. And um, she had written, Dorothy had written a note in her son's Bible that she gave to him um, but, but she was not alive when my daughter was born, so my sister-in-law just like photocopied it. And it's just it's a sweet little prayer, and she just says that our prayer is that you will find God's word in your heart. And that was from great-grandpa and Grandma Hoplin. And it, she for sure passed along this generational faith and, and deep 
love and care for us. And she used to sing and, the, and play the piano at the retirement home. And she was very good at it. Uh, she loved to sing and she loved hymns. And sometimes my whole family, there's quite a few of us, five kids, sometimes we would just sit behind her, like her little cheering section, or go on her little retirement home circuit with her and <laughs> cheer her on as she played the hymns. And, and it was amazing at the retirement home when they would wheel in a number of people with a number of different um, capacities. But everybody loved to sing. And it was, it was so delightful. And that was, I, I experienced that as a middle school student. And she would pray for us and she loved us and she encouraged us and she loved Jesus and everyone around her knew that her heart was dedicated to God. And as she aged, she lost this ability to speak and lost her memory. She would always say, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. And towards the end of her life, when we would visit, she would repeat this song lyric over and over again, like it had been so deeply well-worn into her heart and mind that it just rolled out of the very depths of who she was. And if you bent in close, she would say, I need thee. I need thee. And if you're familiar, this is the old hymn that we're gonna close out with today. And this is a song of dependence. And it's a need for God every hour. This, found, this song found its way deep into her heart because she sang it all the time. And she let these words fill her mouth and her heart and her mind for as long as I knew her. And like I said, this is a song she would utter to anybody who gave her ear. <clears throat> and as we were, you know, talking about this series, it, we, we wondered as a teaching team what it would look like for us as a community to sort of in your own life, in your own like little pockets of the world, deeply saturate ourselves in songs that inspire the hope in us, actual music that reminds us of incredible love that we find in Jesus. Like what would it look like if we just edited our playlists a little bit and turned our eyes to Jesus and what I love about what David did at the very beginning when he instituted music, he organized the whole thing around the presence of God. And when we sing, we choose to remind ourselves that God's love stands firm forever. And we make room for him, that his faithfulness has been established towards you and that the very foundation of his, of his kingdom will last and endure through all generations. And it's not gonna end. And if you're like me, you need to be reminded of that over and over and over again, that the kingdom of God is not in trouble and neither are you. So if we can stand together, if you're able, we're gonna sing together one of my grandma's favorites. And she knew well that she needed Jesus. <clears throat>